Hello everyone, how are you doing today? Welcome to this episode of Project Shadow, my name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my new book, Crucify My Love, which is available as a Kindle ebook, paperback, and a podcast. Just search for Mask of the Gods, which is the name of the series, wherever you're listening to me, and it should be there. If it's not, please let me know, because it really should be, and I need to fix that, because it should be everywhere. But I'm not alone today. Oh no, again, he has come. Oh, hell. oh, wait, it's me! <laughs> You're not going to introduce yourself as usual, huh? Brian. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my hobby. And today we are going to be reviewing Good Omens, the BBC slash Netflix limited series that we watched over the weekend. And I have a lot to say... It was much better than the horrible tragedy Bad Omens that... Oh, wait. No, we didn't watch that one. Actually, I feel like we did. Yeah. That that would be... The Chilean Adventures of Sabrina would be the Bad Bad Omens. Omens. And it was quite delightful. It was quite delightful. (laughs) Quite delightful. (laughs) So before we get into the discussion, as you know, we will do a non-spoiler discussion before we get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, you will be properly warned before we get into spoilers. But before we do, if you haven't already rated this ep- this podcast in the app that you're listening to me in, please do so. That helps out ever so much. It tells the algorithm to share the podcast with more people. The more people that listen, the bigger the community, and the more chances for interaction we have. Oh, the glory. I feel like I just... I want to be all pomp and circumstance because... I don't know. David Tennant brings that out in me. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I just feel like I should be all about the grandeur and the tiny whininess. Yes. But, yeah. So, one thing I do want to say from the start, I am not... I, I have read the book. You haven't. I have not. I'm not going to mention the book at all. Okay. Because, and here's the thing, depending on y'all, we've been thinking about doing like a book club thing on the podcast... And Good Omens would be a very good book for the book club, because it's awesome. Mm. And for those like us who listen on Audible, there's a version read by Neil Gaiman. Yeah. And I love it when he reads his audiobooks. So let me know if you want to do a discussion of the book, and we will do that separately. So the one thing that I will say, that the, like the closest thing to book-related that I will say in this entire discussion is, as a fan of the book, I loved the show and you can't always say that that's awesome but that's all i'm going to say because everything else we'll save if we do the book club thingy so let us know um as somebody who's never read the book and was unfamiliar with the wonderful world created by terry pratchett and neil gaiman what did you think i found it deliciously delightful (laughs) and delightfully evil yeah a touch of that too (laughs) I really liked this show. I was concerned about the casting just because I, I don't know. Maybe I've never seen anything in it 
that with him in it that would have made me have a higher view of him. But when I heard that Michael Sheen was going to be in it, playing Aziraphale, I really doubted whether or not he could hold his own against David Tennant. Because I have really high opinion of David Tennant. I've loved everything I've ever seen him in. And not to Doctor Who aside, like, he is just a great actor. Jessica. (laughs) Yeah. He he is. He's such a good actor. And you have to have a certain amount of charisma and presence to be able to hold your own count as a counterpoint to David Tennant. And I honestly didn't think that my machine could do it. And then he did do it. And yay. Yeah. Like they, they worked really well together. And I think the thing that worked best was the different tonal qualities of their voice where he played Aziraphale very, very rounded. Like all of his words were very, Fool and his voice was very rich and velvety every time he talked. Whereas David Tennant, who can do that, and we yeah. have seen him do that, played it very dry and scratchy in the way that he talked. And that interplay between the two really helped sell the relationship in an odd way. And like, their in their respective characters, yes. as, as an angel and as a demon. Yeah. Um the casting was good. Um, the flashbacks were amazing. Um, Francis McDormand as the voice of God was genius. Just absolutely genius. Yeah. Um, the angels, the demons. The, if I have one gripe about the show, I think a lot of people who are watching this will be confused not only by the ending, but by the fact that every demon has something sitting on its head. Mm-hmm. And that's never explained or even really brought forward. You know what I'm saying? It's just a thing that's there. And I, I think that may throw some people off. It, it's a beautiful quirkiness that it had. But I, 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 I'm concerned that some people may it, have an issue with that. I just figured that was just part of what being a demon was in the setting, because it's just it's a consistent thing, so it didn't really throw me off. I just, you know, at first I was like, that's odd portrayal, but yeah, but you and works. I like Stranger Things, and that's yeah, that's the other kind of buggity boo in in here is this really could have felt like a Stranger Things knockoff with the kids. True. And it didn't, and that's awesome. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things, because Stranger Things has been so um, big yeah. on the landscape. You know what I'm saying? It, even, it, it's the it's the reason why John Carter flopped, right? Because everybody was like, that's just a knockoff of Star Wars. No, Star Wars is a knockoff of it, honey. And they didn't do enough to update it so it didn't feel like a derivative of Star Wars. I think... Uh, um, what was it? In the Station of a Thousand Planets, I can't remember. Valoran in the, in the yeah. Planet of a Thousand Worlds. I think it suffered from that problem as well, because even though it predated Star Wars, people saw it as, you know, derivative. The, the, the Scooby Gang kids thing could have very much felt. Yeah, I, I could see that. I guess because I, um, I didn't pick that vibe up, but then again, I knew you had read it, 
And you would have, if that was something out of the norm, you would have given, I would have gotten clues. You would have gotten ranty or something about it. And I would have been tipped off. And so I just accepted it as, as being more true to the book because of that. Well, see, the thing for me, you know, when watching a derivative version of any Neil Gaiman property, I tend to give them great latitude because one, he's often involved and he was extremely involved in the writing of this. And he understands what works better visually mm-hmm. as a, as opposed to being in the story. Hi, Jinx. I don't know if you can hear Jinx. She's trying to be on the podcast right now. Um, Madam in your seat. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what it is. Um, but you know, like with Stardust, that is significantly different from the book. But I see why Neil was part of, insisted on some of the changes that were made because it made a much more cinematic version, the one that actually went to theaters. And so I, I try not to compare books with, you know, with a, you know, made for TV version as this is, especially when Neil is involved because he has a very good eye at what to change and what not to. But, you know, what, what I was talking about is just because, you know, with, you know, as I understand it, the It movie, which I haven't seen because I don't like Stephen King, um, which is not not a secret, um, you know, I, I understand that it's very much like Stranger Things meets an evil clown. And a lot of people kind of felt that, like it's the rated R version of the Stranger Things kids meet the, yeah. a scary clown. And it's just because that series had such a cultural impact. Anytime you're doing kind of a spooky show, even if it's a goofier show, right? It, it's it's how I'm amazed that in two seasons that we've gotten of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, it hasn't become Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Even though you can see how it wants to go there because of the nature of television wanting to copy and paste yeah. from other places... It's not going there. It's allowed. It's being allowed to be itself, and that is what really made me enjoy this. Is it had that kind of irreverent humor that I expected it to have, and almost a Money Python esque, just broken reality mm-hmm. to it. That 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 level of absurdity that is very difficult to do. And get get it to pay off. It's it's why it's very hard to do Douglas Adams, for example, because Douglas Adams is very good at that humor and that kind of just broken, absurdist reality. Hmm. And I think this hit it. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Um, Anything you else know, you want to say before going to spoilers? Well, for those thinking about getting into it, I mean, the, the basic premise is you have an angel and a demon who been on earth for 6,000 six years and they realize the uh, Armageddon is about to happen and if it does everything they've enjoyed ends so they've kind of convinced each other that if they could uh, muck it up make it not happen then they could uh, continue to enjoy their lives as they have for the last 6,000 years and all the fun absurdity that ensues from there 
you know, is kind of this whole, yeah, it's, it's a mini series. Um, so it's a six parter. Yes. So it's not a major commitment either. It's not like you're committing to multi seasons or, nope. I mean, it's, it's definitely longer than a movie as well. So you're committing to more than a movie, but, um, yeah, it's, it, it was just, it was just brilliantly done and, um, it wraps up wonderfully in its six parts. And, uh, yeah, it's just a great job. Okay, so let's do the spoiler thing. Yeah. For those of you who have yet to see the wonderful Good Omens and do not want to be spoiled by any of it, spoilers are incoming in five, four, three, a two, a one. You have been warned. And now to open the pages of Prophecy. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I, I loved that. I, I loved the prophetic book. Yeah, that was I always just... right. <laughs> the prophetic book that was always right. That was great. <laughs> that that was wonderful. Um, I, I think the fir- first shout-out that has to go out is to uh, Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery Pulsifer, who is played by Jack Whitehall. Oh my goodness. First of all, I, I love me some poking fun at Puritan names, because Puritan names are hilarious. And... <laughs> His witch hunter was wonderful. I mean, just absolutely, astoundingly wonderful. And Agnes Nutter, uh, just, first of all, I love the idea of a prophet named Nutter. That, that I, I, there, there aren't enough wonderful things in the world to say about naming your prophet Nutter. Yeah. Like that, huzzah. Like, you, you get all the winning. Yeah, they, there was a lot of fun names, you know, uh, throughout this. The the, uh, um, the shot where we get to see them die and how she takes out all the people around her, her book of prophecies, which were hilarious and wonderfully well-written and wonderfully well-used throughout the whole thing. Just, I can't say enough good about this. The kids were so well done. Seeing this, this nature versus nurture thing with the Antichrist. It was hilarious. was wonderful. The, the inept sat- satanic nuns. Sister Mary Loquacious and all the problems that she had mixing up the kids. Yeah. Like, and I, I just think, I have to give a shout out. I've got IMDb open over here. I was trying to find the kid's name. Um, Sam Taylor Buck, who played Adam Young, the Antichrist. Oh my goodness. Like, he found a way, like, he, his acting makes me feel like he watched the original Omen. Like, not not the horrible remakes or any of that, but like like the the original original Omen. And played like that. Except for, it was all game, fun and games in the woods. And... Except for that little bitty period of time when he went crazy and released the Kraken. Um, (laughs) But he did such a good job because he really did sell the whole will he, won't they, you know, will he, won't he, you know, vibe that the character needed. Yeah, yeah, because that was was one of the brilliant things I really enjoyed about this is you have mixing up the, you know, the Antichrist so that... um, 
you know, everyone's bringing up what they think is Antichrist. They're, you know, making sure to, you know, even the angel and demon are trying to do their bit to kind of try to balance him out. So he's not quite too evil, not quite too good. Maybe that'll work. And meanwhile, like over in this other little hamlet, like. Except for they picked the wrong kid. They picked the wrong kid. And Adam is actually the Antichrist being raised over in this little hamlet with his, with his three friends, having little adventures in the, having a fort and adventures in the woods. Okay. And getting to be a normal child. Which was hilarious because, in a way, I mean, it was one of the things I was thinking about uh, earlier today was actually the upbringing part. Because you have the Antichrist was supposed to be brought up in a very wealthy home, so he would be disconnected from people yeah. and be dispassionate. Which and, is his, a, and his parents were cool. And his, his parents the, were cool. And, the, can I just stop you for just one second? Oh, yeah. The most brilliant thing ever in visual language, language to get us to understand that Warlock's father was evil you cast Nick Offerman and made him shave. Yeah. Like, you have... Like, <laughs> I there's, at him going, you're evil, there's something wrong with this person. There's nothing more evil than a, sh- than a freshly shorn Nick Offerman. It just, yeah. It's purely satanic. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. Just, it's yeah. absolutely wonderful. Yeah. But it's just, you know, because it's... But if he had been raised in that house, he would have destroyed the world. Yeah, he would have totally destroyed the world. Because that's the... You know, the thing is that, you know, it, it is a problem of being raised in that amount of wealth. Is There's just and l- lack, of, lack and... of apathy and lack of connection that, you know, that, that usually comes with that, you know, yeah. that people are just property. They're not people. And, and yeah, had he been raised in that environment, he would have totally destroyed the world. And then you get that, you know, that fun twist of, no, actually, he was raised in, in, a, in a normal middle-class home, you know, with friends and all this, all these connections and understanding of, you know, just happiness, sorrow, all the, all the bits of life and the joys that come with it. Which they were able again to explain very beautifully through the use of the hellhound, through the use of dog. The use of the hellhound was brilliant because that was it. Because that was like the first big critical moment, and he had to name it. And he's like, "Dog, dog," and all suddenly that that you know, and you know, they don't want a big the, dog. I want a little dog. Or a little dog. Yeah, he just he wanted a dog and a little dog. And he was so excited that he thought, you know, his dad got him a dog for his birthday, and <laughs> it was like it was beautiful because it was like yeah, and. Because that's where you get that that first sign that you know maybe everything is going to be all right because the hellhound is a little less evil, and then of course the hilarious bit when it was trying to practice its demonic acts on a cat and the cat just swats it because cat's like I'm actually bigger than you, <laughs> like, as a cat would do, as a oh, cat my. would do. <laughs> oh, I almost got a unclean label again. <laughs> Same word too. <laughs> oh. I, I, yeah, the Hellhound really is an unspoken hero of this show. They yeah. did a really good job with him. I loved the Kraken when we got oh, to see him. Hilarious. He was wonderful. Because that, that was the other brilliant thing they did. Like, there's supposed to be all these signs of the apocalypse. Of that, and, you know, so so instead of, like, them playing out exactly as planned, you get all these signs of the apocalypse still happening, except they're just a little bit off. So, like, the Kraken rises from the depths 
to terrorize, except for because he was reading the magazine and was mad at whalers killing the whales and harming them, the Kraken rises from the deep and attacks whaling ship. Well, they didn't say whaling ship. They said uh, research vessels that were pursuing whales. They were currently experimenting to see how many whales they could capture in one go. Yes, that's it. Which I thought was hilarious, hilarious jab at... um, Japan. Yeah. (laughs) That's probably it. Oops. Um, But Uh, yeah, I mean, this... This is... Benioff and Weiss could learn from this show and hopefully they will watch it and take notes because this is subversion done right where you have certain expectations. This child is the Antichrist and as you're watching him grow and you're watching him develop, you have certain expectations as how he's going of how he's going to act and subversion is not surprise. Subversion has to be set up and you see the setup really well done with him playing with the kids his his yeah. peer group you see him because helping a stranger sits. in a car wreck you see him with the dog yeah. you see the subversion being set up but you have that moment of mad flying antichrist boy well, we, and you see where that could still legitimately happen because when he's playing with his friends he sits on a throne and his friends are the audience around him. So he's still in this, like, you know. And he tells them what to do. He tells so them what they to can do. Have fun. And, and that's the games they play and they have fun. And so, like, so when you see him, like, go and embrace the Antichrist side and go flying around and all crazy, like, it's not surprise either. It's like, oh, yeah, that, okay. But see, that's part of it playing into the trope that you're expecting. This is a demonic chosen one. He's going to follow a certain path. And you see him going through. And when he actually subverts the trope, it is set up even further by Crowley. Crowley, sorry, Crowley at this point. Yeah. In the story, <laughs> his name changes. Still not crawling. He's not crawling anymore. He's Crowley now. Um, <laughs> when, when you see Crowley able to defeat the hellfire wall because he's the only demon who has an imagination. Mm-hmm. Haster, who's in the car with him, burns up when they hit the wall because he lacks an imagination. Again, this setting up the key difference with Adam. Adam has an imagination. He's learned to make these imaginary games with his friends out in the woods while they're playing. So he's able to imagine a different world. And he's also able to come into his own where he, unlike a lot of devil child characters that we see in other media, he knows who he is. He's very confirmed in who he is. His family confirms him in being their son, Adam. His friends know that he knows all the best games and is the one who knows how to have fun. Life would be so boring without Adam, right? Yeah. He is confirmed in who he is so that when the devil actually shows up, he's able to stand up to the devil himself, to Satan himself, and say, you're not my father. A father doesn't disappear for 11 years and then show up to yell at him. To yell at me and say, I'm not the person you thought I, I should be. That's all set up. Yeah, that's all you can see. I hate to keep going back and harping on, you know, the failings of season eight of Game of Thrones, but that's the brilliance of this show 
is that all of the points that you need to see the subversion are there. Yeah. They set up Pulsifer's character so well, so you understand where he's coming from. You understand what he can do. You understand everything. You may forget it along the way, but it's all set up. When Michael McKeon, who, shout out, haven't mentioned him yet, plays the wonderful witch, <laughs> Witchfinder Sergeant in this, when he calls his neighbor the Whore of Babylon, all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, yeah, she practices all of these occult things, and she's a prostitute, duh. Yeah. And all of a sudden you realize she's been... It's subversion backwards, because you suddenly realize she has been fulfilling all of these tropes of an end-time story all along. But, oh my goodness, I didn't see it until it was just, like, pointed out to you. And that's a brilliant... There's so many moments in this show that I think were just absolutely brilliant and really funny. I have not laughed this much watching anything, really, in a very long time. Yeah. And... I, I giggled like a mad fool. Yeah, it's just hilarious. It was so funny. And I love that Pest of uh, the Four Horsemen also Pestilence turned to pollution. Um, that was really nice. I actually really liked that. That was that was an interesting choice, yeah. Yeah, that was a fun choice, too. So I was thinking, of this, thinking of other things, going, oh, yes. Yeah, I, I thought that was fun. Um, you know. The world, where in the world is the flaming sword? <laughs> the, the, that whole thing was set up very, very well. Everything, yeah. everything that they did, it was set up well. It was very well constructed, and this leads me to the final point I want to say about this series: is I do not want a season two. Yeah, it needs to be it. It's beautifully done. It's beautiful. It's perfect. Yeah, and you can see Neil not wanting a season two in that they have the perfect setup for a season two when they get Agnes Nutter's second book of prophecies and they burn, burn it. it. Yep. Which lets them do one of two things. Should it get renewed for a second season, which probably won't happen. Remember they did announce that this was going to be a limited series. So it technically should have run its course by now. Yeah, this should be it. But anything they do from now on is very clearly off book. Mm-hmm. And that that wonderful little play within the show where they're like very clear about that. Yeah, you can't go beyond this, or you're literally off book. We're burning book two. It's not happening. I, I like that. I think they could do more. I think they if they do do any more seasons, I just want them to pick up the characters that we already know and continue bopping around in time. Mm-hmm. And see their madcap adventures through time. But I don't want even want that. This is... We have so many... Fe- this is why Firefly is held in such great esteem. It wasn't allowed to go long enough to ruin itself. Yeah. It, it had a very solid first season. No, I, I don't I mean that. I was laughing because I was like, it was kept from its season eight. No. <laughs> every uh, every yeah. show has one. Be it start season seven for Star Trek The Next Generation, where it got weird. Season three for the original series. Season one, two, and seven for uh, Deep Space Nine. One, two, four, and seven for um, Voyager. They, they These shows can run a little too long and run past their usefulness. And they should have been ended a long time ago. 
it's nice to have something that is pristine. This show is well written. It is well acted. It is well directed. It is beautiful in and of itself. It does not need more. Yeah. And hopefully, I agree. Hopefully they won't mess it up and give us more. Yeah. Now, if you wanted to get this cast back together and do a completely different thing, I would love that. I think they all played off of each other really, really well in ways that I had never expected. I would love to see this cast do something else. Yeah. I just don't want another season of the show. Have them do Hamlet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful, actually. David Tennant as Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Michael McKeon as his uncle. Yeah. Ooh. Like, that's some serious good... Yeah, do that. Do that. I'm down. I'm down. Can you imagine the girl who uh, played uh, Anathema as Ophelia? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, that... that yes. Yes, I'll take that. I'll, I'll definitely take that. So, anything else you want to say before we wrap up the ep- the episode? Yeah, the poor witch hunters. They're going to end up as the two friends that get executed. <laughs> You're right. It's Gildenkrantz. It's Rosencrantz and Gildenstern. You can see it. It's so clear. Yes. <laughs> Very. Alrighty. Well, I hope you enjoyed our discussion. We went a little bit long, but hey, I've got a second person here, and this was a great series. If you haven't watched it, and for some reason you listen to us prattle on, go watch the show. Yes. Oh, it was so good. Then read the book, because the book is good in very different ways. Very, very different ways. Um, Yeah, love this. Love the show. Anywho, thank you for listening. If you haven't already and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate this episode please do so that helps out a lot if you've got a buck you can throw my way if you go over to the show notes wherever they are in the app that you're listening to me on you can join the project for as little as one dollar either either via the patreon link or the um, community support link that money does really help out a lot it helps me pay for everything that I do. Um, thank you in advance for all that. If you don't have any money, that's all right. I completely understand that. That's like my like default position. Um, but, you know, if you know anybody you think would like the podcast, please share it with them. That helps out a lot, too. I'm C.E. Dorset on both Instagram and Twitter. I'm trying to do more on Instagram, I promise. I really am. It's just... Not my, like, natural state of being. I'm 42, y'all. Um, this is not my natural state of being. I live a very boring life. I'm thinking of turning it into nothing but pictures of my dog and cats, because people seem to like that. Um, but you can follow me on both. Hit me up over there. Don't forget that you can use the link in the show notes to send in your voice messages, any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show. And links to everything else that I do can be found over at ProjectShadow.com. I think that's it. Is that it? Yep. All right. Until next time, when I'll probably be alone, I'm Charlie. I'm Brian. Say it louder so people can hear you. (laughs) I'm Brian. Oh my goodness. Don't forget, people. Have the fun. Bye.